Well, um, thanks for joining me today. <laughs> yes, so happy to be here. Um, so if you just kind of want to introduce yourself a little bit of um, where you're from and such before we get started, go ahead. <laughs> Hi, I'm Landon. Um, I moved to Paris from Dallas in 2018. I'd always wanted to move to Paris after studying abroad in 2012 and finally was able to kind of make everything come together to move. And I was working in Paris as a travel planner because one of my favorite things to do is show people a different Paris than what they might see just by reading guidebooks or top 10 lists or anything like that that you'd find on the internet and yeah now I'm here (laughs) what so you said that you were interested in Paris since prior to studying here do do you have like a memory that specifically tied you to Paris or what kind of created that interest so I came here for the first time with my family and I really enjoyed it I actually wasn't like totally in love with Paris but I wanted to study abroad and I actually wanted to study in Spain because I'd taken Spanish all through high school and then I'd place out in college but kind of like a fluke thing I didn't realize that I needed the hours at my university to do the abroad program in Spain and I was kind of like um okay so where can I go and they said you can go to Paris and so I was like all right (laughs) (laughs) so I actually I was super late in applying and I got placed in this homestay with like this old couple like outside of Paris like with a cat I'm allergic to cats I was kind of like oh my gosh this is going to be a nightmare but I had um, my dad's cousin who lived in Paris and he I hadn't really like talked to her too much, but he emailed her and was like, Hey, my daughter um, is coming to Paris. She had like a horrible homestay, like assignment. Do you have any ideas? And she was like, Oh, well we have like an extra room if she wants to stay with us. And I met her like one time, but I was like, Hey, this is better than like not in Paris with this old couple and the cat. So (laughs) she was so nice to let me stay. So I stayed with them and it, they're like my Paris family now. Like I had every single dinner with them. Like their two daughters were like nine and 11 at the time. So I was kind of like the big sister and really just like having that family connection kind of in Paris, but then also having the freedom to go and kind of explore on my own was what made me fall in love with it because my class schedule was really nice. And then all my classes were like at the same time. So I would either have them at the end of the day or the beginning of the day and all the rest of the time I could just explore. And I would literally just like hop on the metro, go wherever, just like pick a random place and get out and walk. And that's just kind of, that's how I fell in love with Paris. I was like, this city is amazing. No matter where I go, there's something new to see. And I feel like you can never see it all. Yeah, that sounds like such an incredible experience because... I think that's what so many people find challenging about Paris is the initial part of not really finding a family or finding a group and just having a family member there who you kind of trust and 
they give you freedom at the same time when I don't know if the other family would have given you any freedom at all, you know, especially being in the suburbs, like so much is taken away in that instance. Uh huh. Just, I mean, especially the, the transportation issue, like just making it more difficult to go and explore would have been a totally different thing. Plus I'm kind of a shy person. I mean, I'm not shy once I know somebody, but it, it takes me a while to like break out of my shell to get to know people. So I don't know how it would have gone with that, that old family. I mean, it might've been fine. It might've been great. It might've been lovely, but I'm really lucky that I kind of had the experience that I did. Were all your classmates, were they in that program where they had a homestay family as well? So it was kind of a mix. Some people stayed in apartments that the, the program provided it's IES. And that's what I would have liked to have done because I would have had my freedom and been with other people in my school, which I didn't know anybody um, going into the program, but other people were in homestays. And actually one of my best friends from the program who I still talk to like regularly, she lived not too far from where my family lived. So we would always take the Metro together from class, which is so nice to just kind of have like a built-in friend and because it is so hard, I think, to meet people and like genuinely make connections with people in Paris, especially French people. Like I really don't have that many French friends. <laughs> which is a which is a common theme among mm-hmm. foreigners. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's very, very normal. And that's something that people don't expect until they move here and they're all of a sudden like, oh, that's different. Yeah, I always kind of like people ask, they're like, why do you not have more French friends? And I just kind of think of like back when I was in college in the US, like you go out to a bar and like everybody wants to talk to everybody, like everybody wants to meet people. And I kind of feel like when you go out in Paris, like everybody kind of wants to keep to their group, which there's nothing wrong with that, but just makes it harder to Mm -hmm. break in. Definitely. And they're good and bad to both sides. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. And so that was in 2012. And then obviously there's six years between your moving. What, I mean, how did the love of Paris stay alive to the point where you started, you know, showing people the city from still being in Texas? So I actually, so I did my program in the fall 2012 and then summer 2013 my university did another um summer Paris program and so I applied for it right away as soon as I got back and I got in so I was able to come back the next summer and it was it was nice to experience Paris at a different time of year we came at the end of May and we were here until July and so I really got to see like just summer and it was so nice and the weather was beautiful and I was like, wow, I could, you know, really see myself here. Of course, I skipped January and February, so made it really (laughs) easy to see myself in Paris. But I kind of, I never really thought like right after graduating in 2014 that I'd come here, but I worked in fashion. And so there were, you know, during fashion week, I would come and do the trade shows and things like that. So I was coming back pretty regularly and you know still coming for my vacations when I had them and I was just there's just something about Paris that just really captivated me and just the energy of the city and I every time I was leaving and getting on the plane to go home I was just so sad and I was like there's something 
about that, that I need to like come back and, and live here. And, you know, also with planning trips, there are so many times that I'd talk to people, especially, you know, my friend's parents who'd been to Paris a few times and like, yeah, I just didn't really like it. It just, the people were kind of like snooty, just those stereotypes that, I mean, of course, like everybody has a bad day every once in a while. Like nobody's like perfect all the time, but I really don't have too many experiences where people are just like outright rude. So I just kind of wanted to correct those preconceived notions of Paris a little bit. So I kind of just made it my, it was just really my passion. Yeah, I do think that um, holding conversations with Americans where they're constantly like, aren't they rude? And you just kind of have to sit and you're like, no, (laughs) defend it a little bit. Well, and I think too, especially like the only time that I've ever witnessed people be rude is if like, and this is also a stereotype, so I feel kind of bad saying it, but like a loud group of Americans just like sits down and like immediately starts speaking to like a waiter or something in English, just like assuming that they speak English, which now, I mean, luckily I feel like most people in Paris do speak English, but I think you also have to make like the minimal effort to say like, bonjour, like parlez-vous anglais, or just like a little, a little bit goes a long way, I think. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And so you were working in the fashion industry and is that when you just started um, giving tips and kind of creating, did you create programs for your friends and their families? Like, was it kind of a whole itinerary or was it just suggestions at the time? Um, It just kind of depended on what people wanted. Sometimes I would just send like a list of restaurants or activities. Sometimes people would have an itinerary already done by either them or someone else. And they'd send it to me and I'd say, oh, I would do this instead, or like, you should move this and do this on this day, because it makes more sense for walking or taking the transportation, whatever. And then it kind of progressed into people would come to me and say, like, oh, I'm going for four days, like, what should I do? This is where I'm staying, or where should I stay? And I mean, it was so much fun when people would say, like, where should I stay? And it's like, oh, do you want an apartment or a hotel? And I just loved researching and really like putting myself in their shoes and I would do like a Google map with like all the places with my little commentary and I do like all these color coding by like different activities and categories and restaurants and that just made me I was spending so much time on it but it made me so happy and I was like it'd be so cool to actually do this. Mm. Did you so when you ended up finding an um a business that did that did you reach out to them did they reach out to you did it just kind of gradually turn into becoming an employee like what was the transition like there so once I decided I wanted to move to Paris I decided in I guess it was December 2017 and I kind of announced I was like okay in August 2018, I'm going to move to Paris. So I had like, you know, eight months notice, but I kind of said it out loud to hold myself accountable and to not chicken out and to actually make a plan. So I started looking into different visa types and how I was going to get a job and how that was going to work logistically. And I kind of realized that with my French being awful, that (laughs) getting employed by a French company was going to be probably not a possibility for me. 
So I started kind of looking into the auto entrepreneur visa where I could do freelance work. And I started looking for different American companies that I could work for because speak English. Um, So I found an American company and I kind of started working on like a trial basis just to see if it was a fit and if we, you know, culturally match together. And so I, I found a company and I started working and it was travel planning and actually going on group trips in France. So it was a great learning experience for me because I got to see lots of different parts of France and kind of learn how it worked to go on group trips with people. And I realized that that wasn't really my favorite thing in the world. I liked more the the planning part of it and just kind of letting people go on their own. So I worked for that company for, um, I guess, like a year and a half. And then I decided that I really wanted to go out on my own and just kind of plan travel for people and not do group trips, but just do travel planning. And so that was December 2019. And it was going great for a few months. pandemic happened and then the pandemic happened and then the world shifted (laughs) and now Americans are not allowed in France for the moment yeah that's really crazy especially if you had worked for a company pre-pandemic but you know where when your sole you know business isn't allowed in your country anymore that's such a difficult shift yeah and especially when you were shifting to Maybe I can keep a business model like that. Just work on a one-on-one level because I think um, going out and traveling is like a very extroverted thing to do. And if you're a little shyer and a little more introverted, it's it's more draining than mm-hmm. fulfilling. And so when with the transition that you were making, I can imagine it was more for being a little more one-on-one, a little more personal. And then for that to be wiped out from under you. I can't. (laughs) Well, and now, so my visa expires in January and I have the auto entrepreneur visa. So to get that, I had to give them my business plan and all my projections and, and all of this was based on travel planning. So now I'm like, um, do you think they're going to be like cool with me? Like kind of shifting because my whole like business model is not, or was not possible this year. And I'm just, that's like a big kind of stressor unknown for me right now. Cause I'm just like, I hope that the French administration is kind of like, okay with me going a little bit off course for what they approved me to come here and do. But I'm also like in the back of my mind, like, Oh my gosh, what if they say like, you didn't do what you said you were going to do, like go back home. Yeah, that's the problem is that we hope that they're understanding and then it's the government. So, <laughs> are they? <laughs> like, I don't know who I'm going to get. I hope I get somebody who's in a really good mood that day. <laughs> yeah, so, oh, fingers crossed for that. I really hope so. Well, so, okay, can we talk a little bit about the business model that you've been planning then? Because even, I mean, currently, maybe for a year or more, you know, that's not possible, but is it your goal still to ease into that eventually? Yes. I mean, and I'm actually already getting requests from people 
because I think everybody's so anxious and so ready to travel and uh, me too. Um, so I'm already getting requests and I know it will pick back up. I know people are going to want to travel again. It's just kind of a matter of when they're allowed to and also when they're going to feel comfortable. I know like if they open the borders tomorrow, like there for sure will be some people that come, but those people probably aren't going to be the people that ask me to plan a trip. Those are probably people that just miss Paris and want to get here. Like I think that the people I work with, it's going to take them a couple of months to feel ready to just get back out there. So definitely going to continue that. And I kind of do a little bit of everything from full trip, like every single detail, every single reservation, anything you could need to just, I still do if if I have people that say like, oh, I just want to know, like, where are the best antique shops in Paris? Like I'm looking for like X, Y, Z, or I really just want a list of restaurants. Like I really like classic French restaurants or I want more of like a modern French restaurant. So I, I like the flexibility and it also allows me to help a bigger range of people because people don't have to just come and let me do the whole trip. Like if it's somebody who really knows Paris, but they want to stay in a different neighborhood this time and they just need kind of some suggestions or if, you know, they're coming with kids for the first time and they don't really know like which restaurants are okay for kids. Cause that's, you kind of have to have like a, you just have to, you know, have a sense of the restaurant. You can't just Google and see a picture and be like, Oh yeah, this place would be okay with kids or not. Or do your kids like, like, like French food, like would your kids try escargot or are they like French fries only, you know? Yeah. So. That's a huge range. And so I know that, once you ended up leaving the old company, you started, you were starting a blog, but I know, so you started the blog prior to leaving the old company, but mm-hmm. it obviously when you're busy and you have a full-time job, maintaining a blog is close to impossible. Yeah. I mean, I had no idea really what went into a blog, but when I started it, like I didn't know what SEO was. I didn't know what keyword research was. I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know you had to like resize your photos and name them. I mean, I didn't know any of this stuff. So that alone to dedicate the time to kind of trying to figure it out. And I still am like very surface level. Like I have not figured everything out, but it was hard to commit enough time to do it. And so I was really able to start committing more time to it, especially during the pandemic because I had nothing but time. Um, but I really just kind of made, I, so I started my blog in February, 2019, but I, I mean, I literally posted like maybe three times until December, 2019. Cause I was just, I was kind of nervous about it. I was like, what are people going to think? Like, who's even reading this? Like who cares? And also because I didn't know anything about SEO, which is search engine optimization. Like nobody was even seeing my post so it's kind of like what's the point of me writing this if like two people are going to look at it and it's my mom and my dad I mean that's great but like just kind of yeah so once I started really focusing on it and trying to be more consistent people did start reading it and people did start you know reaching out to me and say oh I love reading your blog like you know brings me to France or I love just seeing what you're doing like just kind of hearing those little positive comments it's like okay 
people do enjoy this. Like there's value in it. Like people are referencing it. People are saving it for future trips. People are sharing my posts. So just kind of that validation was helpful. Yeah. And so once the, once the transition from your old job and attempt with to formulate the new one was the blog kind of a way to put what you couldn't do yet into words like were you able to start giving advice and and expertise on certain areas like was it filling a void in terms of not able to actually help people travel for a bit definitely I mean there were so many things I had in my kind of mind that I wanted to share whether it was tips for a solo trip to Paris or just like reviews of restaurants or visits to museums that people might not know about. It's just kind of a way to put everything out there and kind of organize it by categories so that also, because I have a, you know, a contact form on my blog for my travel planning services, people can really look through my blog and see like, okay, like these are the types of things that I like to do. So she's maybe going to be a good fit for me to plan my trip or, you know, I'm interested in similar services or restaurants or museums. So it was just kind of a good way for me to kind of show my Paris to people and also different parts of France. I mean, I spent the confinement in Normandy. So I was super nervous about that when when I was living in Normandy during the confinement, because I was like, I know people like Paris. I know they love the Paris content. I know there's a huge market, but do people care about this like small town in Normandy? Like, and do people care like what I'm doing during the confinement? But people were so receptive. They were like, this is such an escape for me. Like just to see this, like kind of change of pace, this like slow life, Um, my boyfriend's family's dog Dalton is golden retriever he has like the biggest personality and people are obsessed with him like and I mean rightfully so he's hilarious but it was I was just nervous I was like this is not like my my niche my niche was kind of Paris but I was glad to see that you know people were saying to me like when this all ends like I want to come spend an extended time in Normandy or somewhere in the French countryside because of what we saw on your blog and I was like that's really cool Mm, yeah and so you had mentioned prior because I really want to delve into kind of the way that you supplemented the blog through what you're selling is that your time in Normandy introduced you to French antiques Mm -hmm. so I'd always kind of been interested in antiques as a child like we had an antique mall like five minutes from my house in Dallas. And I would ask my parents to take me when I was like, I don't know, like five or six, because I just wanted to look. Um, And so I'd always been interested. And then all of a sudden living in Normandy and this house that's been in my boyfriend's family since the forties. And there's just like, you know, the big cabinets filled with things. And I was kind of like, Oh, I don't want to like overstep and be like opening drawers and like looking inside. But I was like, this stuff is so cool. So we had every meal together, lunch and dinner, and the table was set, like beautiful silver, porcelain plates, you know, gravy boats, like saucier, whatever they say in French. But that just, it really was these little simple things that made the day more enjoyable and beautiful. And my morning, like, 
coffee, which is, you know, an espresso pod. I picked a different little um, espresso cup every day and kind of, I got the little saucer out, which I don't know. I would just before never take the time to like get a saucer. Like, what's the point? Like, you're just going to drink this espresso in like a couple minutes. So just kind of having that to look forward to. And it was like, each day, like, am I in a more floral mood? Or like, do I want something a little brighter? <laughs> it's like starting my day, like, with a cup to match my mood. But it was just, I realized, like, all these things, yeah, they're fragile. And at to some extent, they're irreplaceable, because they're old, and you can't make them again. But they're not really going to break. I mean, the chances of things breaking are so slim. And accidents happen. It's not it's not the end of the world. So I think it's important to use the items that are in your cabinets and, you know, rather than just grabbing the like Ikea plate. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the Ikea plate, but. Yeah, it's not a French antique. (laughs) (laughs) When did you transition from the fascination to trying to, to selling it, to shipping it worldwide and primarily the states but wherever I guess possible so it's actually funny when I first moved to Paris my parents told me they're like you should sell antiques and I just finished (laughs) working in fashion I was doing wholesale I was like schlepping the stuff everywhere like trying to I was just kind of I wanted to break from selling I was like no I'm not selling antiques I'm travel planning and they would they kind of kept bringing it up and I was I don't know. I guess I'm a little stubborn. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And then after Normandy, it was like, I guess, June. And I was like, well, travel really isn't coming back. Like in the next, I don't know when. So I was like, maybe I'm going to start doing this. So when I came back to Paris, I would just like every weekend go to different like brocants or the Vide Greniers and I just started collecting things and pretty soon my apartment was literally full with antiques. Like I was like, okay, I've got to get these online. I've got to sell them. It's time. Like it was kind of like a nervous thing to like transition and into a different business just because I was like, I don't know. I felt like I was just starting the travel and I was just kind of like announcing that and I, I'm not really good at self-promotion. It just not, doesn't, I don't like it. Yeah, <laughs> um, <sure>. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, I need to do it. So I'd used Shopify before um, with my fashion jobs. And so I knew how to use Shopify. I was like, start taking pictures, get it online. The shipping, figuring out the shipping logistics was probably the hardest thing for me just because it's really expensive to ship anything from France, like, and especially if it's fragile. So the reality of living in France means shipping is a, is a journey. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and I think especially now too, people are so used to free shipping and I'm used to free shipping. So it's like, I get it. You see something and you click to buy it. You're like, I love it. And then you see like, oh, wait, 50 euros to ship that tiny little thing. And I just wish I could tell everybody, but that's what it costs in France, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but now I've actually started shipping some things to the U.S. Um, to be fulfilled from there because most of my customers are in the U.S. and it just makes it, instead of 50 euros to ship something, it's 
$10 and that's mm. a little more palatable. Um, but I'm, I'm learning as I go. Like it's kind of the same thing as a blog. I didn't really know. I, I felt like I knew a little bit more about e-commerce than I did about blogging when I started just because I had the background from fashion, but antiques, it's, it's a whole different blogging, but it's so much fun for me because I get to like really research the objects and try and find out like exactly when it was made or why it was made or what it was used for and kind of tell the story. But then also people get to add their own story whenever they buy it. It's like it, it lives on. Oh, that I love that perspective because it just, I do think it's kind of in line with you saying I woke up to this beautiful coffee cup and it's just crazy. It just, it's appreciating the little things in life and Mm -hmm. the history and the culture. And it's, I mean, it's more than an Ikea plate that was manufactured. Like it's special. And then every person who touches it makes it more special. Exactly. And I think if 2020 has taught me anything, like you, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Like you can't wait to do these things. Like you just have to kind of, I don't know if you break a plate because you used it like every night, it's a bummer, but it's better than just like having a pretty plate and not ever using it. Cause you're afraid to break it. I mean, I break stuff all the time. I don't break stuff all the time. I do break stuff, but usually it's like a random, like fluke accident. Like I'm washing something like a glass and they get the water too hot and it just like shatters and it's like bummer but like (laughs) that's just reality (laughs) it happens I feel like it's made me a lot more chill like I'm obsessed with Christmas and my Christmas ornaments I used to be so upset when they broke but it's like it's part of the deal like sometimes things break and it's okay (laughs) Yeah. And so while you were spending, I'm guessing, post first confinement looking for antiques, is that when you also became interested in the little shops by the side of the Seine? So actually, I I mean, I've always been interested in the Bocanese just because I think it's one of those things that you just they become so ingrained in your vision of Paris when you're in that part of Paris by the sin where they are, you just, it's, it's almost like second nature. And then all of a sudden you see so many of them are shut and you're so used to just seeing them open and so many people. And all of a sudden you're, I mean, you're just like, wait, this doesn't look right. And without the tourists, it's hard for them to stay open. I completely understand. Like I understand why they're not just like standing there every single day, like waiting for people to come buy stuff. But especially as the, you know, it wasn't the lockdown, but the lack of tourism progressed. And then the second lockdown came, it was like, Oh my gosh, there's maybe like one or two that I see. And like my whole like vision, which normally you see, like, I don't know, like 30, 40 And so it was like, what can I do to help them? But like to really help them to not just buy. I mean, it's great to buy something. It's it's so great to support them. But, you know, their books are like 10, 20, 30 euros. It's like they're spending their whole day and maybe they're selling one book. Like, how can I make this bigger? So I decided to do this auction and... Basically, I price everything at cost. 
which does include the cost to ship it to the U.S. because I do like a bulk shipment and then fulfill it from there. So it's not like you buy something at auction, then you have to pay 50 euros to ship it. So that ends up being like 10 euros per item. And basically people bid and everything above the cost goes directly back to Boca East. And I also have an option to do a donation. And on my first auction, I had somebody who wanted to donate to cover the costs of everything. So I was able to give 1,100 euros back to the Bocanese on like 12 items, which is like kind of crazy. And it's these two Bocanese and like, they were like, almost crying. And I like, it made me almost want to cry just how appreciative they were. And one of the ladies, she was like, I didn't know what to do for you. Like I made you a mask. Like, and it was just so sweet. Like I my mean, heart. <laughs> she's like, I, cause I wear like, I don't wear the, the surgical masks. I wear like the cloth ones. And I always have some sort of like weird mismatched one to my outfit, like totally not coordinated. But she was like, you know, I saw you had like the, the fun masks. So I wanted to make you one. And it was just so sweet. And it means so much to them and they're so proud of their work and they do such a good job and they, you know, they're so knowledgeable and I can't imagine Paris without them. So just being able to help them after this year, that's been tough on everyone, but especially them. It's like, why not? You've got people in your corner now forever. (laughs) (laughs) I really hope that that can continue because 1100 euros I know it was that's crazy uh, yeah and it's like I mean especially for them like I feel like it it's it's just such an impactful thing and because now I mean like I'm complaining about the weather it's cold and rainy but you know the people that are still out there and trying to sell their books to basically just Parisians which I don't know how many stop to buy stuff and they have to sit out there all day and it's cold and rainy and it's like you know they really like they're hard workers and they deserve it yeah oh my gosh and so this all accumulates on your blog right so you the traveling the interest in Normandy the uh, antiques is it all accumulated and all available on your blog yeah so basically my blog is kind of I guess like my landing page for everything like I always like to so I do have a separate website for my antiques which is where the auctions for the Bocanese are held just because that is like the payment processing is on that website but I like to always talk about everything on my blog because I think it's just a good kind of like archives for me but also I mean professionally and personally it's a good it's like almost like my diary and you know, instead of just putting a product on my antiques website, I can, for special things, you know, do a whole post about it. Like for the book, and you can kind of go through like every item and say like, this is why I picked this, or this is why I like this, or just to kind of like spotlight things more, I think. And I just think it's a good resource for people that maybe want to work with me again, they can kind of see it. it it's all there. But just more than anything, it's like kind of like my online diary. So um, just one last question. 
So if I were somebody who had visited Paris maybe once or twice, don't quite know, but I'm really interested in, I think, what a lot of people ask, like, where do the locals go? What's the real Paris? And I think that's a common question people ask before they visit a city. And so if someone were to ask you that, what were what are the top few spaces or restaurants or monuments that you would suggest they go to? Um, it's a great question. I think like it starts with like the croissant in the morning. Like I think people, and I was guilty of this before too. Like I would Google like best croissant in Paris and like try and seek out wherever that was. But I've realized like really the best croissant in Paris is like just at the boulangerie that's close to you because then you can get it like right when it's hot and you can, you know, enjoy it there and having your morning coffee. Like it doesn't really matter like the scene most places are pretty in Paris to me at least but it's like where do you go that you can feel like comfortable with with like a great you know group of people that work there like for me I love Le Voltaire which I think people think of this restaurant as like this like super like fancy like old Paris place like it has this like vibe that's just like old school like old people go there but for me like the people that work there are like my friends. They're some of my favorite people in Paris. They're kind of like my Paris family. And I like to go there and have a margarita. It's like, I think as far as the museums go, like the Louvre is great. But if somebody's been to Paris a couple of times and they've already done the Louvre, like, I think, why don't you go somewhere else? Like I love Musée Marmiton Monet in the 16th to see the Monet paintings. Or if you want, if you like antiques and you've been to the flea markets in the north of Paris, why don't you go to the ones in the south? I think it's just, I think also not having like a set itinerary and just kind of wandering into places is so nice too. And to just kind of allow yourself to go to different neighborhoods. And I think like right now with the food scene, like, not necessarily coming to Paris for French restaurants. Like there's such a great international food scene right now. There's so many great like Chinese restaurants and even like Texas barbecue or like Mexican. I mean, I just think that to me is more of a local authentic experience to do just kind of it's, it's Paris, but it's not like what people imagine. I mean, of course there are certain things, but, I think even locals appreciate, I think still seeing the Eiffel Tower twinkle, I, I don't think that will ever get old for me. Like, but. Yeah, yeah, that is so true. Like there's a combination of, you know, Mamat and the Eiffel, like locals love that. And that's, those are beautiful places, but they don't go to the Louvre every day. And it's, it is trying to balance like the beautiful and the, and, and I think what is so Parisian is learning to love your, area and learning to have that kind of be your place and kind of embodying that for as long as they're here is it I think is right it's like it makes a difference well yeah and I definitely believe like Paris is like really 20 little villages and you can really like stay I mean it's not I wouldn't advise coming and just staying in your little village but it is cool to like to be able to not go that far and you have like all these people that you really get to know, like you really get to know your butcher or your cheese shop. 
or your wine shop or even if you're just going to monoprix like for me it's been so cool just like getting to know even the security guards and like waving at them on the street and like maybe it's very american for me to like see people and like get excited and wave but i think people appreciate that too just i i and especially with a like lockdown it's weird like i know my neighbors now like i not only know my immediate neighbors but like people in my general neighborhood like we see each other walking on the street and we you know like I wave and they just kind of nod their head, you know, but that's really cool too. Cause like you think of Paris as such like a huge city, but, and it is a big city, but it's really small too. Mm, definitely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so, so, so much for giving this information and spending your time. And I love what you're doing with the antiques and, and the shops and it's just it makes such a difference, especially when small businesses have been so impacted. Well, thank you so much. It was such a fun conversation and so glad to be able to share. And I hope that more people will be able to come and experience Paris very soon. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs>